Hey, so uh, if you're if you're here on Sunday mornings, also another thing, 9:30 Sunday mornings, cool things are happening in our high school. Uh, it's been a lot of fun and just very beneficial. Um, but you heard a really dumb story of mine this morning, and uh, and tonight I got another dumb story for you. So when I was like 18 years old. Um, who has a driver's license in here? Yeah, Rocket. All right, cool. So I had my driver's license, and I was 18 years old, and I was driving. Um, I had this little Toyota that was like a little 4x4, four four, and I thought it was like the coolest thing ever. Um, and I just graduated high school, and I used my graduation money to get it painted, and, and I got new rims and tires on it, and I thought it was like the coolest thing ever. Well, I'm driving along one day, headed to my buddy's house, and I pull up to a light, and what do you know? I see this good-looking girl selling some stuff on the corner, and of course, I lean over, you know, and I roll that window down, because I didn't have electric windows, you know, and I try to do it casually, like make it smooth like it is electric, you know, I'm like... Um, so I, I roll the window down and then I'm just trying to, you know, guys, and guys, you know this, right? Like, I'm just trying to make like casual eye contact with her. Like, oh, oops. Oh, we stared at each other. Oh, let's stay here for a moment. Right. right. And so I'm sitting there in the, uh, <coughs> I'm sitting there in the car and I'm blaring the music that I think is the coolest. And, and even though when you're, it's so dumb, you're standing on the curb, you hear a car roll by that's just like blaring music. You never think that guy is so cool. You always think like that guy's an idiot. Like who is that dude? But I'm blaring my music like, man, she's going to think I'm so cool. Right. And I'm there and I'm kind of like casually looking over, casually looking over and I see the light turns green and I'm like, okay. Let me give, give one more goodbye glance. And, I, and, and she works at the store, and I was like, you know, I'll be back to this store just to casually say, oh, hey, I did see you on the corner the other day, right? And so I have this all planned in my head, and, and I go, <laughs> I lean over to give like the, hey, like, I'll see you later, glance. And I hit the gas, and wham! I was the second car in line. The first car, the lady decided at the red light that, hey, what do I do at the red light? Let me turn around and play like patty cake with my kid and not go at the green light. And so she didn't go at the green light, and I smashed into this Corolla. <clears throat> Needless to say, my next move was this. Roll that back up, okay? Because <laughs> the direction I was headed and the direction I was looking were very different. They were two very different directions, not a lie, and, and this story's totally true. My only saving grace when I tell Nolan the story is the girl did look a lot like Nolan. It was not my wife, but it looked a lot like her. It doesn't make her feel better. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. All right, all right back on subject. <laughs> but the direction I was heading and the direction I was going were very different. Last week we told you, uh, I was talking about this place and, and what um, the house rules we wanted to be. And I, and I call it a house. And the reason I, I want to call it a house and refer to this place as a house, because in a house, you treat guests very differently than how you would treat them at a restaurant if you worked at a restaurant or, or at a convenience store if you, if you work there. Like guests are treated very differently at your house. When a guest comes in your house, it's very much of a welcoming thing. And we want you to know if you're a guest that you're in God's house and he's allowed us to be people who are taking care of it. And we are so glad you're here. But we have house rules here. And it's not rules that, that we necessarily want you to follow. It's, it's rules of thumb, what, the rules of what we want you to expect out of this place. 
And last week I told you that, that this needs to be a place of rest. That I hope right now that, that a bunch of your, your false identities, a bunch of the people that you had to be all week, I hope you hung them at the door when you walked in. That you walked in and said, I can rest in Jesus and, and the people, uh, with the people who are also following Jesus. That I hope you're able to do that. And if you weren't yet, man, I, I encourage you just to do that right now. That you would say, okay, man, I'm just going to be real before God. As he speaks, I'm just going to listen and really be vulnerable before the Lord. Allowing God, hey, God, here are the real things going on in my life. And when God brings conviction or, or, or insight, that you say, okay, I'm not hiding from that. I'll take that. He wants us to be a place of rest, but we want it to be more than that. See, like, like a ship that comes into a harbor after a long journey, they also, when they come into the harbor, it's a place where they begin to find their bearings. They begin to realize, okay, here's where I'm at, and here's where I need to go. It's a place where they find, uh, where they are refocused. That we want this to be a place for you where you can come and stand on solid ground for a minute. And I don't mean just like a single minute. I mean like the slang term, like for a while when you ain't seen your friend in a minute. Like, I want you to stand on solid ground for a minute. I want you to be able to, to just for a moment be able to assess your life and, and where you're going versus where Jesus says he wants you to go. That you can take a look and say, okay, is this where Jesus has me headed? Or does he confirm you in that? Or, or, or are you standing on solid ground realizing, finding focus in the mass chaos of life and in the speed of life where everything slows down for a second while you're here on a Sunday night sitting before God's word and praising God that he says, hey, 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 here's in this moment in the quietness of your heart. Hey, I, I want to change your direction a little bit. That, that it's a moment where you realize that you're on a road. Are you looking at the road God has set before you, or are you distracted like I was on your journey? That this is a moment where, where you begin to find that. <clears throat> because here's the truth of the matter is, one, when you're on the road that God has set for you, and you are following Jesus in the plans that he has for you, then you find true peace, and then you find true rest. And so we want you to experience that here. The Bible speaks a lot about this. <clears throat> See, the truth of the matter about Jesus is this. I want you to hear this. This is the truth about Jesus. If you come into contact with Jesus and you're in present, the presence of Jesus in the quietness of your heart and in that moment, whether it's here or at home or anywhere, here's what Jesus will do. He will begin to put your life into perspective and you will begin to see in your life clearly that it will come into focus and you will understand the things that are pleasing to him and the things that are displeasing to him. That that is what happens. And so we want this to be a place where you come into the presence of Jesus and he says, and you put your life into focus and you realize and you're encouraged in where you're going or you're convicted in where you're going and you change direction. <clears throat> this happened to a guy named Peter. And it's a story I just want to share with you tonight. That Peter was one of the disciples who spent a lot of time with Jesus. <clears throat> and what we're going to pick up, Jesus has died on the cross, literally on a cross, dead right there. They buried him in a tomb. They wrapped him in clothes. Three days later, they find the tomb unlocked, unopened up. Jesus out of the tomb, unwrapped. <clears throat> All his wrapping are there. He even like folded his clothes. They said they found him folded. <laughs> and then they found like his limbs, like kind of where he was laying or whatever. It was like this interesting like, story. And, and so for 40 days, Jesus is walking on the earth as a man who has defeated death. He still has the holes in his hands from the cross. He still has a hole in his side. 
where they stabbed him, that he is walking around. It's like this crazy moment that we can't really even imagine because for us, people do not break out of the grave. They do not come out of cemeteries. That's the creepiest thing on earth. That's the reason we don't go into cemeteries at night because we are scared someone might do that and that scares everyone. Yeah. And yet Jesus did, but not in a scary way, in like an amazing way in a predicted way. And so for 40 days, he's walking around, and this is the moment where we pick up where Jesus, who has defeated death and defeated sin, is walking around, and he's talking to his disciples, and he tells these guys, he says, go to the Sea of Tiberias. I'm going to meet you there. And so these six guys who had been called by Jesus go to the Sea of Tiberias. Now, these men were once fishermen, that's what they did for a living. And Jesus walked up to him and he said, hey, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That I will change what you do and how you do it. I will, I will make you a disciple. And you will no longer fish for fish, but you will fish for men to share the gospel with, the truth of Jesus with. And so he had changed their life. And so they go to the sea and they're standing there and they're waiting there for Jesus. And Peter tells the six, he looks at me and says, hey guys, while we wait for Jesus, y'all want to go fishing? So they're like, all right, sweet. And so they jump in a boat and they go out and they're fishing. They fish all night. And they catch nothing. Nothing. And early in the morning, someone's on the shore. They're about 100 yards away. Someone's on the shore and and. He yells out to him. He says, hey, dudes, you're casting your net on the wrong side of the boat. You cast on the other side, and you're going to start catching fish. And so they took their nets out and cast it on the other side. And now you got to know this is a ridiculous thought. Because in a sea, if you've never been in water, let me fill you in real quick. There's not walls in the ocean. That literally fish can swim under your boat. And so for you to just simply say, oh, there's fish on the other side of the boat. Okay, let me throw it over. That's ridiculous. But they did it anyway, and they threw it over. And then they begin to pull the net up, and it is so full that it's starting to tip their boat over. At this, they look, and and some of the disciples, they tell Peter, they said, hey, that must be Jesus. And that's what we're going to pick up. It's John 21. Verse 7, the disciples whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved, anytime you hear that, that is John. That's a, a guy named John. Like, he's a writer of this book. And so he, he, I don't know why he continues to refer to a name that, like, they had kind of given him. But, but he does. Instead of saying, like, and then I told him, or and then John told him, he, he says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. <clears throat> he says, the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that, heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from land, but about a hundred yards. I want you to catch that, that Peter heard it was Jesus. Remember I told you when we come into contact with Jesus, it can't help but put our life in the focus. When Peter heard it was Jesus, he put clothes back on and jumped into the water. That's the opposite thing that anyone does when they get into the water. When you're about to get in the water, you take clothes off. You don't put clothes on. But Peter put clothes on. Why? Because I think he realized in that moment that he had gone back to his old way of life. That Jesus had called him to a new way of life, and he had reverted back to his old way of life. 
And I think in that moment when he realized, wait, that is Jesus, I think it hit him. And Jesus has called me to a new life. And so he put his clothes back on. If he planned to continue to fish, he would not have put his clothes back on. But he said, no, I'm done with this type of work. And so even though I'm jumping in the water, I'm putting my clothes back on for the work that Jesus has prepared me. And he puts the clothes back on and he jumps into the water. That he leaves the safety of the boat for the sake of Jesus. He jumps into the water and he swims to shore. <clears throat> they pull the boat ashore. And, and Jesus is there and he has like a fire going and some fish cooking. And he says, hey guys, like come eat breakfast with me. He says, take a couple of those fish that you just caught and pull them up and, and let's come eat breakfast. <clears throat> and so they come and they eat breakfast. And then when Jesus got done fulfilling their need physically, he began to address their hunger spiritually. And here's what I want you to understand, a little side note, is that Jesus cares just as much about your spiritual life as he does your physical life. But some of us have, have tried to fulfill the physical desires of God with, with, with worldly things. That the desire that God has given us for relationship with him, we have fulfilled with relationship with man that never works out. That you have fulfilled it with friendships or, or relationships, boyfriend or girlfriend, or whatever it is. And God says, no, I have given you a physical desire for relationship that only I can fulfill. And you are trying to fulfill that physical desire with other people and other things. That Jesus is not only the source of our spiritual desires, but he also fulfills our physical desires. And so he fulfills their physical hunger first, and then he addresses the spiritual hunger. <clears throat> and this is what he says. He goes on. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, and if you hear Simon or Simon Peter, that is Peter, the same guy <coughs> who jumped out of the boat. He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he's looking at the other disciples. Hey, do you love me more than these guys? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, feed my lambs. And he doesn't mean like real lambs, like, hey, uh, go ahead and tend to my sheep there, boy. Like here, and then Peter's like, okay, where are the grain? Like, let me help you. No, like it wasn't like that. It was, he was talking about people. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to them, then tend to my sheep. Again, not real sheep, but people. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? So Peter's there and he's like, dude, like, I just told you twice. Why do you have to ask me a third time? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep. He says, if you love me, then take care of my people. That Peter had been fishing just minutes ago, and now he's saying, hey, if you love me, you're no longer fishing for, for people, for, for fish. You're now fishing for people. You're no longer trying to, to fulfill a desire that way, but, but I have people that need to know about me. And I'm calling you to be the person that tells them. It's interesting that he told him three times. <clears throat> because before Jesus died on the cross, he, he had a conversation with Peter and he told Peter, he said, hey, Peter, um, just by the way, you're going to deny me uh, three times. Peter says, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to deny you. He says, no, you, you will deny me three times. 
He says, before the rooster crows. And so Jesus gets arrested and people look at Peter and they say, hey, weren't you with Jesus? And Peter says, no, 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 I wasn't. And then later on that night, uh, some people come up and they say, hey, that's a follower of Jesus. And he says, no, no, that was not me. I don't know Jesus. And then a third time, a man comes and says, hey, the guy that's about to get crucified, weren't you with him? And Peter looks at him and says, no, I was not with him. I don't know him. And at that moment, the rooster crows. And you got to know that it hit Peter, all the truth of what he had just done and what Jesus said. Hey, you are going to do this, that he denied him. And you got to know that in that, as you feel when you sin and you, and you feel bad, that you tend to run from God and hide from God, that he was feeling guilty in the weight of that denial on him. And so Jesus coming back and redeeming him for service goes to him and tells him three times, hey, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, yes, yes. And feed my sheep. And he redeems Jesus. He redeems Peter. And the same is true for us. That is, there is no sin big enough that Jesus says, no, you're unredeemable. That if we will choose to put back on the clothes and, and, and take on the role that Jesus has called us and to jump out of the boat that we are in and run to Jesus, he says, man, I will redeem you and I will tell you what you need to do. And what it's going to be is to love my people as I love you, to follow me and trust me. He refocuses Peter's life. That when we stand in the presence of Jesus, it, it can't help but happen that we begin to see our life revolving around Jesus and what that looks like in comparison to where Jesus is calling us. <coughs> but the story goes on. <coughs> so he tells him, he says, hey, great, feed my sheep. He says, here's what you need to know about your life, Peter, that you're going to continue to follow me, and that's amazing. He says, but, but there's going to come a time when you're old and you're going to stretch out your hands and people are going to take you where you do not want to go. What he says is, hey, you're going to die a terrible death. I want you to understand and be prepared for that now that at the end of your life, it's not going to be awesome. It's going to be terrible. Peter says, great. Like, that's, that's awesome. I mean, that's terrible. But, but what, what you need to know is, is my hope and my joy and my peace are not in the world. They're in you. And so I will continue to feed your sheep until you deem me no longer needed on this earth and you take me into heaven. And so that's what that conversation kind of ends with was this like, hey, here's a refocus of your life is that you're going to follow me and you're going to have great spiritual reward. Physically, it's going to be a little tough. But be anchored in me. Hold on to me. And this is where the conversation goes. He goes, so then they started walking back and they're walking back into town and and Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John. The disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who said, who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? So let me just explain this real quick, that they were right before Jesus' last supper. Jesus is sitting there before he goes to the cross and they're breaking the bread. He said, when you break this bread and you drink this juice, uh, this wine, um, Do it in remembrance of me. Remember what I have done for you and the sacrifice that I have made for you. And then he says, and and one of you is going to betray me. And John leans back against Jesus and says, who is it that's going to betray you? And he tells him, hey, it's, it's Judas right there who's going to betray me. And so he's referring back to this story, back to this time before Jesus defeated death. And he says, hey, well, what about that guy? Does that guy love you? Is that guy going to die the same way I'm going to die? What's going to happen to him? And, and, he, and he takes his eyes off of the road that Jesus has set for him. And he looks back again. And here's Jesus' response. 
When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, it is my will, if it's my will that he will remain until I come, what is it to you? You follow me. And it was in that moment that the direction Peter was once going was now changed. It was in that moment that Jesus says, it doesn't matter what the rest of your friends are doing. I am telling you, please follow me, that I have a plan for your life. So often we get on fire for the Lord and we say, yes, we want to go. And then we get around our teammates and we get around our friends and our neighbors and our family and everyone else that is influencing us in other directions. And we begin to say, well, Jesus, what about them? But they're not doing it. Do I have to do it? What, what, about, what, is it, what are they going to do? And Jesus says, no, I'm not worried about them. Let me, I, I will worry about them. You don't worry about them. You just follow me. Don't put your eyes on them. Just follow me. <clears throat> Man, how hard is that to be a high school student and not to have your eyes on the people around you? That is super difficult. That's Jesus' call for your life. Hey, don't worry. Don't worry about them let me worry about them you just follow me and how how amazing is that it's interesting like this picture was kind of painted in my mind as I was thinking about this and what he did for Jesus it's like if you're going on uh, how Jesus works kind of in our life it's like if you're going on a long trip and, and you're going on on a trip and and halfway through the trip you realize oh snap I'm lost like, I'm go I don't know what direction I'm going. I don't know if I'm in the right direction or the wrong direction. I'm lost. And then you turn your GPS on. And you turn it on. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you. You turn it on, and, and it says, make, uh, make your first U-turn. Uh, make an immediate U-turn. U-turn as fast as you can because you are heading in the wrong direction. That there's a couple ty types of refocus that Jesus tends to do in our life. And one is that, hey, the direction you're going is the wrong direction. I need you to turn around and come this way. That's what he did in the boat. That's what he did to Peter in the boat. He says, no, you're heading the wrong direction. Turn around and follow me. And the second thing he does, and the second thing the GPS does, right, when you turn around, it says, hey, hang right here, hang left here, hang right there, hang left here. And it tells you, begins to direct every little step in your path as you stand in, in, in the presence of Jesus. And he is directing every little step as you stand in the presence of him. And so as the band comes back out, I just want to close with this. I want to close with John 10, 10. It says the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. He says, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is a place where we can come and present our choices to the Lord. That this isn't a place where we can come and be real with God and say, here is what I've decided and here's where I'm headed. Lord, is this pleasing to you? Is this where you're calling me to go? and where Jesus can begin to refocus our lives. Where some of us are going to need to make some immediate U-turns in our life because he says, no, that is not my plan for you. And that is not how you will have life abundantly. That, there, that is where you will find destruction. That is not where, where peace will, will come from. And some of you, he says, no, you, you're, you're going the right way, but you need to hang a right up here. That there's some relationships I'm pushing you to, that you need to go and pursue these relationships. And there's some that you need to run away from and you need to let those go. And when we 
begin to really be in tune with who Jesus is and, and his calling on our life as we spend time with him, then we begin to experience life and life abundantly. Outside of that, what I want you to know right now, some of you are like, well, I have life outside of Jesus. What you need to know is that's a cheap imitation of the life that Jesus offers. That that is not life and life abundantly. And so I want you to think about that. How much joy really comes from that? And then know that that is not the life that Jesus offers. How much greater is, Jesus, is the life that Jesus offers? How much more abundant is that? That is his desire for you. That you have life and you have it abundantly. That is what we find in Jesus. We have, uh, we have books out there that, that are... Simply for you, and I told you about them last week, I think, simply for you to know how to study your Bible. They're guides for you throughout your week, throughout your day to say, hey, I'm going to spend time with the Lord. Where do I need to start? Man, you've got a guide right there, a book right out there on the table. They're totally free. They're for you to take at your will when you want. So I encourage you, take one. Spend some time with Jesus this week. Allow him to be the thing that refocuses your life. God, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for all you're doing. Lord, I ask that you, as you send us out from here, that first you would keep us safe, God, but then second, you would begin to direct our path. Lord, that you would begin um, to guide us, that we may experience life and life abundantly in you. Lord, help us to make wise decisions. Give us the courage to make the difficult decisions. Lord, lead us, protect us, be with us. In Jesus' name. Amen.